For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, Top News listeners, this is Luke Garrett. And Megan Cloherty. We're the hosts of WTOP's daily local news podcast, The DMV Download. Don't worry, Top News from WTOP isn't going away, but we wanted to drop in and give you a taste of what we're producing, a podcast that goes deeper into the biggest stories of the day. If you like what you hear, head over to the DMV Download podcast and subscribe. It's Friday, July 15th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Days after a severe storm downed trees and power lines in our region, there are still more than 50 customers without electricity in College Park. It's such a recurring problem there that some are calling for the city to bury its power lines. We sit down with the mayor of College Park, Patrick Woyhan, to talk about this and other challenges facing his city. What we used to consider a 50-year storm or a 100-year storm is now is now now seems to be happening every couple of years. So we would love to see that happen. The problem is the challenge is that it's very expensive to do. And a beautiful theater at the heart of a Northwest D.C. neighborhood that's been closed for years now has new life, earning the designation of a historic landmark. Rebecca Miller with the D.C. Preservation League tells us why the Uptown Theater is worth saving. It gives people this idea of what the ever-changing and evolving streetscapes of their neighborhoods were. And there were people would come across town to the Uptown because it was such a nice theater. Thanks for listening. I'm Megan Cloherty. Luke is off today. The severe storm that hit our region on Tuesday evening made the drive home difficult, to say the least. And for many, they arrived to find the high winds had caused damage. In College Park, wind gusts reached 90 miles per hour, according to the National Weather Service. And four days later, there are still people there without power. That storm has renewed the call for the city to consider burying its power lines, which is estimated to cost about a million dollars a mile. The mayor of College Park, Patrick Woyan, is joining me now to talk about this and other challenges facing his city. First of all, Mayor, thank you for being here. And Let's start with the power. Um, there are some lawmakers who are saying, why are we getting, we, we are obviously a target here. Should we start to bury these power lines? How big of a thing is that? Yeah, so I, uh, I definitely, it is a big thing. Uh, I would love to see the power lines buried. We So we did lose power for, there are some houses, uh, you know, I'm definitely um, concerned about this. There are some households that still don't have power. Oh, wow. Uh, seniors that are still uh, still sweltering in this heat right now. Um, so we're doing what we can to support them, but also trying to work with Pepco. Our public works staff has been out clearing the trees, so working with Pepco to get the get the power restored to everybody. Uh, the in terms of burying the power lines, it would definitely be a benefit to the to the the durability of our grid, uh, to making sure that we that we are less likely to lose lose power when things like this do happen. And right. the and these storm events are increasingly. Uh, happening, they're 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 what we used to be, what we used to consider a, a 50-year storm or a 100-year storm is now is now now seems to be happening every couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we 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 would love to see that happen. The problem is the challenge is that it's very expensive to do, especially when you're retrofitting. When when if you're doing it as part of new development, then it can be it it can it can be done in conjunction with that. But if you're doing it 
to retrofit, it can cost millions of dollars. Right. And you mentioned this to me before the interview, that it's estimated to cost about a million dollars a mile to bury power lines. So with it being so cost prohibitive, is it possible to do it in some parts of the city? Possibly, you know, are there areas that would really benefit from buried lines, maybe more than other parts of the city? Uh, well, I think the there there are other benefits too to to uh, placing utility wires underground, uh-huh. um, economic development, just helping the helping the appearance of an area, utilizing space better. So from that perspective, probably our commercial areas, focusing on our commercial areas and, and the Route One Baltimore Avenue corridor, uh, would be would be most beneficial in terms of durability of the grid. Uh, that that's a that, that's a different question because then you're talking about wanting to get the trunk trunk lines uh, working with our our utilities and making sure that the the areas that carry the most power to the most houses are are uh, are, are put underground right. and kept safe. So it's not necessarily the people who need it. Sometimes it's who's easier to connect and yeah. then starting there is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um, is there anything that can be done that isn't burying the power lines that would strengthen the grid? Yeah, so so we so Pepco has been uh, proactive in the last several years uh, about better maintaining their equipment, uh, about ma- about tre- keeping trees trim, which is uh, it, it, there are pros and cons to that because unfortunately that means that they they've had to take some trees out when they when it's impossible to to keep the utilities mm. uh, safe the power lines safe mm-hmm. um, without removing a tree, uh, but uh, but but Pepco has been uh, been good in the last several years. It was the the derecho that happened. That was a wake up call to the utilities locally, to Pepco, BG&E, all of them, to say we need to. They need to be more proactive. Yeah, about- I remember seeing an article. It was ten years ago, which I was thinking, gosh, it's already been ten years. But it was one of those yeah. moments in our area that people remember where you were because it was just right. such an impactful storm. Right. Um, when we've been covering College Park, it's such a unique community because you obviously share with University of Maryland. And it dominates not only who lives there, how often they're there. Yeah. Um, what do you think is one of the big challenges coming out of the pandemic for your city? Uh, yeah. So, so for us, a big challenge right now. We we put a lot of resources throughout the pandemic in protecting our local small businesses uh, and making sure that they could get through mm-hmm. uh, this difficult time. Um, especially when the students all disappeared at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. Uh, trying to keep those businesses open was incredibly important to us. And unfortunately, we did lose some some of our um, small um, businesses uh, that have been, some of them had been in the community for decades. Not all of it was pandemic related, but still sad to lose them regardless. Uh, but what we want to do now is make sure that we are, we are we're protecting those small businesses, uh, allowing them to be resilient and sustain into the future. Mm-hmm. We, we've, we had, we've seen a lot of new development in recent years. Um, there's uh, about half a dozen new student housing developments coming in. Plus, plus three non-student housing developments, and and that is changing changing the community. Some of those new developments are displacing existing uh, development where some of those small businesses are located. Huh. So we want to make sure that we support those small businesses to to relocate to uh, if rents are getting higher to make sure to to help them to to find ways to to continue to pay their rent, continue to serve the community. Uh, any good uh, diverse community depends on great small businesses. Mm-hmm. So that is that is really something that we want to make sure that we that we maintain those small businesses. We saw the numbers about inflation and just how how we're all kind of coping with what this is going to mean for our lives. When we talk about rent going up in a city like yours, that can make a huge difference because as we know, Maryland has a lot of students, I think the majority of students who don't actually live on campus or live in College Park, 
they commute in, maybe many of them will choose, okay, rent's going up. I might go yeah. live with my mom and dad for a couple months or or what, you know, if they have that option. Is that something that's on your mind? Absolutely. And, okay, tell me about that. Yeah, certainly. So we so housing affordability has become an increasing challenge all over the the, the DMV, the, um, and particularly in Prince George's County. Historically, Prince George's County was was perceived as a place where where there was naturally occurring affordable housing, mm-hmm. but that is definitely changing, and it's going to continue to change as the Purple Line uh, opens up in the next few years. Uh, so we we want to make sure that we maintain affordability for the students that are, go to school in our community, for the faculty and staff that work for the university, work for other businesses, our teachers, our public safety officials. We want to make sure that they all have the ability to affordably live in College Park. And we're working on a number of different strategies to 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 build in affordable housing. Uh, we, we got a grant from our, our General Assembly and um, great appreciation for our representatives in Annapolis because they got us uh, funds for affordable grad student housing that we're going to be working in the next couple of years to build out. And, uh, and uh, we are starting a community preservation trust uh, that will uh, uh, acquire uh, land um, so to make and then make the, the the houses on that land more affordable for residents of a certain income level hmm. uh, um, that want to live in College Park. Uh, so part of our goal there is to make sure that the, the, the st- that everybody who works at and studies at the university that they can live close to campus so that they don't have to travel in from afar that um, and um, and um, uh, have a lot of more more traffic on our roads to make our also make our community more walkable and bikeable, so that people who live near campus can walk and bike to campus. Um, to make our the greater College Park, the greater University of Maryland community, uh, uh, more more uh, effectively uh, uh, enable people to, to to live close to where they work or study. Yeah, I was I was off of your point. I mean, you want development in a city, but not if it sits empty, right? Right. And you don't want more parking lots. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> right. so you're in a position now where, um, yeah, it's a, that's a tough thing. What is the, the biggest, I mean, excitement for you as a mayor right now? Um, so I I think the coming out of the pandemic and and bringing life back to College Park. We've been able to, we're bringing new public space in. We just opened up our new city hall in December, and we have a, a plaza in front of the city hall that we've been able to, to host events at. We're, really, we're working on making college, giving a sense of place to College Park uh, so, that, and so that it's not just a, a place where people come during the day to work or to study and then go home elsewhere. We want people to stick around, to stay around on the weekends, to, to decide to stay in College Park for the summer or even after they graduate from school. Uh, so that they they can call this a community and and um, and they're their community, and and to uh, to enjoy and appreciate everything that College Park has to offer. So uh, having a place where people gather on the weekends, gather in the evenings, uh, come for uh, a beer to sit out and, and enjoy the, enjoy our nice weather. And, yeah, yeah. Actually, get to enjoy the culture of College Park itself. Exactly, exactly. Mayor Patrick Wohan, thank you so much for sitting down with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. And after the break, the Art Deco centerpiece of D.C.'s Cleveland Park neighborhood, the Uptown Theater, gets a historic designation. We talk with the D.C. Preservation League about what it means for the future of the shuttered theater. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. 
For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve the show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. In a region full of historic places, it's fun to pop inside and learn more about their story, but you haven't been able to do that at the Uptown Theater in Cleveland Park for years. The Art Deco Theater has been closed since March of 2020. Given that we had other things in our mind that month with the arrival of COVID-19, its closing of its doors didn't get a lot of reaction except for neighbors who saw it happening. Now the Uptown has new life and is designated a historic landmark, but its future is still uncertain. Rebecca Miller with the D.C. Preservation League is here now joining me on Zoom to tell us more about the Uptown. Rebecca, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, So tell us about how this historic landmark status came to be. Uh, Certainly. So after its closing closing back in 2020, as you mentioned, you know, there was concern from the neighbors uh, about its future. Uh, The building is a contributing site within the Cleveland Park Historic district, uh, but it is not an individual landmark. Uh, So generally speaking, buildings within historic districts are protected from demolition, uh, but it just gives it an extra layer of protection and encourages uh, restoration of the facade. And of course, the interior of the building had all been altered back in the 90s. So that's Uh not part of the designation. And so we worked with our landmarks committee uh, at DCPL, which is made up of volunteers and also the Cleveland Park Historical Society to put put forward this nomination. Okay. And so when did that all go through? Because I know the neighbors were, you were mentioned they were kind of a part of this and pushing for it through the ANC, but when did it get its status? It received its status, uh, I think in May of uh, this year. So 2022. Okay. Okay. And what do we know about the architecture of the Uptown or, or the history of it? So it's a modern building. Uh, it was built in 1936. Uh, wow. uh, Zinc building. So Zinc is a famous architect who did lots of uh, theaters around uh, the area. Um, and one of the reasons also to landmark this building was also to talk about its um, status in this in a citywide context, because we had neighborhood theaters all across the city that were developed. Of course, we had theaters downtown as well. Yeah. But these were neighborhood theaters that you could walk to um you know, from your from your house as you're out doing your shopping, those types of things. Mm-hmm. And of course, this particular building was uh, uh, we see a lot of people talking about reminiscing about movies they saw, yeah. premieres, Star Wars and and things like that. And so it has a really uh, unique place in people's hearts in Washington. Um, the theater, just to, to go off of that thought, the theater famously hosted multiple world premieres, which I didn't know until researching this, including Stanley Kubrick's A Space Odyssey in 1968 and Jurassic Park in 1993. Um, you mentioned Star Wars. It kind of became a popular spot for people to line up if there was a big opening. And back in 2019, the cast of Downton Abbey actually came across the pond and was there for their um, for their movie. But there is a question with all these streaming services, if movies are movie theaters are really needed like they were you mentioned like it used to be a neighborhood thing and now we don't see that as much anymore um why do you think the uptown is worth saving i think that one just from the nostalgia portion of it but it is an important building in the streetscape within cleveland park and also citywide um lots of theaters that were across the city have been torn down many of them have been of course turned into a cvs or something like that yeah um 
And so I think this, you know, gives people this idea of what the, the ever-changing and evolving streetscapes of their neighborhoods were. And there were people would come across town to the Uptown because it was such a nice theater uh, in Upper Northwest. And so um, it's a, hopefully it will be a theater in the future. Obviously, historic preservation can't dictate the use of a building in the future. Mm. Uh, that's what it was purpose designed for. Uh, and it will be a great location to have future movie premieres in Washington and maybe see lineups of people again. This is just my curiosity, but if you do end up protecting the inside of a building. You mentioned this one was redone in the 90s, so it doesn't really fall in that designation. Does, does that allow the Preservation League to, to dictate what it's used for? Well, the Preservation League is an advocate. So it's, it's so everything falls under the, under the D.C. Historic Preservation Law. Okay. And so it allows the city government to then protect an interior. And those interiors, there's only 18 of them in the city. So it's places like bank lobbies. Um, and things like that. And okay. the Warner Theater, for instance, has an interior designation on it, which is a very clear interior designation. And, and it's a theater and it'll be continued to be used as a theater. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of the Uptown, since the interior had been compromised, there's no more historic fabric. It, it didn't warrant an interior designation. So it could technically the seats could come out, the screen could come out and it could be utilized as something else. Uh, there has been discussions over the last several years about use as a performing arts space or th- something like that as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's always an opportunity that could be had as well. It must be a very cool job to be in the Historic Preservation League of D.C., which is one of the most historic places in our country. Um, but I'm interested in the, in the houses around. I mean, you see houses, especially in Georgetown on Capitol Hill, that have the historic designation. Is it just a matter of how old they are or is it when they were built or who they were built by? Uh, in, in some cases. And so we do have uh, criteria within DC of what is historic and what is not. Um, we also have two separate layers of designation, one being contributing buildings within historic districts and one being individual historic landmarks. Huh. And DC does not have a rule on how old something needs to be. Uh, it needs to be old enough that there is able to be an academic assessment of that particular structure. Okay. Um, but it can be historic because something significant happened there. Uh, a person lived there. Um, archaeological sites, uh, that type of thing. But architecture being one of the primary uh, designation criteria here in Washington. The last story that uh, WTOP did about the Uptown was that Landmark Theaters was kind of poking around and interested last fall, but we haven't heard anything uh, about that since. And I know that's not in your realm, Rebecca, so we'll have to see, reach out to them and see if there's any movement there. But Rebecca Miller with the D.C. Preservation League, thank you for kind of, you know, giving us some history and teaching us a little bit about our neighborhood. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So before we go, it is Friday. Thank the good, sweet Lord. And... We have Rosie back here again with us hey. to close out the week. <laughs> and Rosie, we're talking about two fun things that are going on this weekend in case you guys don't have plans. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you start. Okay. This one popped up in my uh, Twitter news feed today, and I just couldn't not share it. So okay. this is an event. It's called Elvis's Birthday Fight Club. Apparently, it's an annual thing that happens at the Gala Hispanic Theater up in Columbia Heights. Um, it's tonight and it's tomorrow. Tickets are still available. And Basically, what I have this, so many questions. I know. Number one rule of Fight Club is right, apparently talk you talk about, about this one. <laughs> um, it's a, it's they say it's seven staged rounds of cartoon like violence. So they have <laughs> th- there seems to be some 
semblance of a plot involving perhaps a talking toilet and a man dressed as Elvis. Um, but they basically have staged fights, st- staged like in costume. It? Yeah. They've got SpongeBob, Princess Leia. They had My Little Pony at the last one. And they just do these hilarious staged fights in front of an audience. And um, tickets are still available. Like I said, they seem to be about $30, $40. It is a 21-plus event. So, you know, know that going into it and leave the kids at home. But I might consider going. It I was sounds... going to say, so you're going and you're going to report back, right? It sounds too good to miss. It sounds just mysterious enough and just intriguing enough. I've never <laughs> heard of it either. I know. Me neither. But That's crazy. The pictures are hilarious. You should definitely... Take a chance. That's a good one. Okay, Mm -hmm. mine is, you probably have heard of, but maybe you haven't been, the Capitol Fringe Festival, which started in Georgetown years and years and years ago as like an artist event where people would put on whatever shows, theater shows, music, whatever, whatever it was. And it's expanded. It's back now for the first time in two years for obvious reasons. And they're taking over the shopping mall down in Georgetown. Oh, nice. Where they have all these abandoned stores. Yeah. DSW, Forever 21. Um, Washington Sports Club, all of those are just huge empty spaces. And so they built theaters inside. inside. Oh my God. Isn't that cool? So cool. And they the tickets are 15 bucks. And what I thought was really cool, Jason Fraley covered it for WTOP and um, interviewed the organizer. And she said, from the beginning, we've tried to make this like a really an artist first kind of show. Mm. So out of your $15 ticket, the artists get 1050 Amazing. From each ticket, which makes you feel good. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's also a community open mic night for those Ooh, who are bold. Dangerous. So that you can win 50 bucks if you win that. <laughs> and then if you win that, you have to tell us. But um, there's 10 shows on the weekdays. This thing goes for two weeks. And this weekend, um, there are 25 shows throughout the day, both Saturday and Sunday. So you can kind of just like wander, it sounds like, Amazing. when you get in there. I don't know. It sounds really cool. Sounds so cool. And they have the Sandlot Bar in Georgetown. They're taking that over and mm-hmm. making that like part of the French Festival. So... I don't know. It's like a Washington thing. If you haven't been, 15 bucks, done. Well spent. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay, good. Well, I don't know what we're doing this weekend, but hopefully it involves Elvis and Fringe, and we'll get back to you. <laughs> uh, that'll do it for us on the DMV Download. We're sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Rate our show and leave us a review if you get the chance. And, of course, we are always posting on social media. You can find us all the places at dmvdownload.com as well and become a VIP listener there. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in D.C., 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP app. Have a great weekend.